0: Okay, morning everybody. So, I'm Dave Caldwell, putting a face in the name together. Okay, uh, why don't we open with prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and learn more about your church. We ask that you would guide the discussion today and that you would help us to uh, not only understand but to uh, figure out how we can be part of a healthy church here at Grace Bible Church. And we thank you for all those who are here in attendance today and ask that you would Bless them uh, with more understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, so there's a reminder in the preface of the book, actually. It's sort of a weird way to say it, right? A reminder in the preface. But, um, but Mark Dever talks at the beginning of the book uh, that these nine marks aren't a complete inventory of everything that would be part of a healthy church, right? That these are... Uh, crucial marks that lead to sort of a full experience in the church, so I think that's that's important as we go through. Then he highlights that the eight previous marks this is actually chapter nine so we 're ending we started with the first one, mixed it up a little bit we 're ending on the last one uh, but he but he emphasized that this is uh, sort of the culmination of the eight previous marks, and we 'll talk about why but but just to highlight those, um, since since we have been going in different order and some folks have missed uh, a Sunday here or there, is the first one was expositional preaching or rightly preaching the word of God. Uh, the second mark was gospel doctrine, answering who God is, who we are, and the special saving actions of Christ. The third one uh, was a biblical understanding of com- uh, conversion and evangelism, partnering with and relying on the Holy Spirit to present the gospel to others so they have the opportunity to be saved. And those are all sort of, those three he would categorize as preaching the message. Uh, and then you get the, the next six, which are leading the disciples. And so it starts with uh, number four is a biblical understanding of church membership with uh, sort of defined as the intentional and committed corporate nature of following Christ. Uh, number five is the biblical church discipline, and submission to leaders and accountability. Mark number six is a biblical concern for discipleship and growth, or helping believers understand what they've committed themselves to and growing in their faith as a result. Number seven is biblical church leadership. Groups need leaders and the right leaders to direct us individually and as a body. Number eight is a biblical understanding and practice of prayer, is a reflection of uh, what we believe about God and what is most important to us as a community, and that brings us to the ninth mark, which is missions uh, and so um as we as we sort of launch into this, let me ask a few questions so I'm hoping that there's a little discussion today, all right, so gear up it's just discussion. some of you can read scripture if you want later but um but as we as we launch into this. You know, how many of you think, like, the majority of your friends and family know Christ? Okay, great, for those of you who can raise your hand. How many of you think they know who Christ is, whether it's correct or not? Like, okay, they think they know who Christ is, okay. Um, Because they think they know about Christianity, does it seem more difficult to convince them what they think they know isn't Correct. I think a lot of us would probably fall into that category, right? Uh, have you seen churches that water down the gospel message to draw people in and seen the adverse effects of that? I think a lot of us are shaken up and down. Okay. So, so those kind of questions sort of bring us to this issue of missions. Um, the word missions, is it even in the Bible? Anybody recall any scripture? You all pretty well versed. No, it's, it's actually not right It's a term that came up later, so so how would you how would you define it you know let's let's just ask how would you define missions anybody okay, so that's a more general thing. Does anybody think about missions as being like an overseas thing? I think a lot of churches sort of have that perspective like you think I think missionaries I think they're overseas um Okay, so, so something to think about as we're walking through this is, you know, where does missions, activities take place? Where do they take place? Is it overseas? Is it in the United States? Is it somewhere outside of our church? Is it in Kansas City? Uh, where does it go to? So I'm, I'm going to give you uh, uh, an Army definition, because, hey, I just retired from the Army, right, and we have missions all the time. Uh, so getting a little more uh, specific is a, is a mission is an operation that's assigned by our higher headquarters. And, uh, and that's, that's it. That's the definition, <laughs> right? Keep it simple, right? Uh, so, so if you think about that, right, it, it, then you, know, you could apply this just as well to the church, right? Our higher headquarters, God, right? And we have an operation that we're supposed to be executing, so we have to just define what that operation is, so that we're in obedience to God, right? Um, so if you if you search on the internet as well, what definition of missions uh, a mission is, uh, it's got you know two definitions. One's an important assignment and carried out for political, religious, commercial purposes, typically including travel. That's interesting. Um, and then the second definition is a vocation or calling of a religious organization, especially a Christian one, to go out to the world and spread its faith. So Dever highlights that it's, this is, even though it's not in the Bible, it's it's strictly a a biblical idea, uh, specifically taking the gospel across boundaries, and he would put in parentheses especially across the boundaries of language, Um, and he asserts that missions is evangelism in a place and among a whole people where it's largely unknown. So taking Jared's uh, definition that he threw out, right, and we take a look at that, and you say, well, if we're really trying to reach people where the gospel is unknown, wow, that sort of opens up the whole aperture, right? It's not just overseas; it could be right here in Independence or Kansas City or or what have you. Um, so, if you take and say, as as missions, uh, a call to evangelize the world, does that prospect excite you or? Intimidate you, drive you to action. I think we we probably fall on a wide variety. But can anybody throw out sort of what that call to action does to you personally? Like, would it does it? Anybody? Does it intimidate you or something? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Does anybody feel like it drives you to to, to actually do something? Yeah, and that's very sort of an overseas focused kind of thing, right? Go to where this a language is not understood. Although I think uh, I would argue Dever with his second definition and even though he has that one caveat of, you know, specifically with unknown languages, it's really about reaching people. So it sort of ties into that evangelism chapter very heavily. Right, there's the and the evangelism chapter is a little more focused on the personal evangelism where missions is a little little broader. Right, so I, w- I would actually probably rename the chapter "missions and outreach," trying to capture what his idea is here. But yeah, John. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's probably a great way. Yeah, maybe that's that would be even a better name for the chapter is is intentional outreach. So. So if you, if you take the word missions out and we just call it outreach or something, does that excite, hopefully excite somebody? In here. Come on. <laughs> so I mean, this is, you know, and it probably does inside, but then it sort of gets overwhelmed a little bit with some of the intimidation of how am I going to be perceived? Am I going to turn somebody off of the gospel because of what I said, although hopefully the Holy Spirit will overcome anything we, we try to say or do. Uh, did anybody feel like you were probably more excited about outreach and stuff when you, were first, when you first became a Christian? Because I think that's a challenge as well, right? It sort of wanes over time a little bit, or you get comfortable in this little pocket. So, something to think about. Okay. Um, Dever also gives, he gives like three definitions as you go through. And that's all right, because I think the, the point is this is sort of a broad thing, right? He get, He has sort of another definition that's telling lost people, who give us the opportunity how God can save them through Christ. Most of us would probably say that's evangelism. He put it in the missions chapter, but the two are so closely tied together, you can't really uh, separate the two. He also states in the introduction that it's a need to think about God's purposes in the world and the role he wants the church to play in bringing about those purposes. And I think that's something we can think about here more, discuss a little more about, and then in the future think about, what is our purpose as a church as far as reaching... Uh, other people in the world, whether it's more locally, whether it's internationally, whatever. In the preface, he also states, it's interesting, right? I haven't even gotten to the chapter yet, but he he actually does a really good job at the beginning of the book trying to tie the things together, and then he breaks them down in each of the chapters. So, uh, he states that if if, uh, originally he didn't have missions as a chapter, uh, or and then he, he he says, okay, we sort of revised it. And then he said, if he states that there would be one more mark to add, it would be for the congregation to be outward looking, um, saying it would be synonymous with missions, albeit a wider view. So you can sort of get that outreach piece, right? It's it's okay. There's a lot in the in the marks about how we disciple folks, how the church works, um, but. To what end, right? And, and, and that's why the ninth mark is the ninth mark, because then it's looking outward beyond our own walls. Um, he, he goes on to say that if that were the case, that uh, we would uh, be better integrated in a vision for global missions as well as local evangelism. Um, and, uh, and then he asks a few uh, questions that I'll ask rhetorically for you so you don't have to answer these. Um, if we have a commitment to evangelize or an unreached people group abroad, why haven't we done a better job trying to find members of the same people group in our metropolitan area? Why are our missions and evangelism, why aren't missions and evangelism better integrated? Uh, and I don't want to assert that we haven't integrated all these things, right? We pray for our missionaries, we, we do things, but it's an interesting prospect, right? If, if we got missionaries in Cambodia... Are we trying to reach a Cambodian population in Kansas City? The two seem like they would tie together very very well, but it's probably something we haven't really considered. So it's something to think about. Um, you know, we do a good job in our church of, of things like putting the pictures up, reminding people. It's not just about putting things up and saying, hey, here's our missionaries. It's hopefully that's spurring us to pray for them at least once a week, right? Because it's a reminder. Um, You know, our our elders always make a point of praying for our missionaries and for the mission that they're a part of. Uh, So so there's a lot of good things that obviously we're doing. Um, So, excuse me, when we uh, consider some of these initial thoughts and then we sort of break into this outline of of the chapter, uh, Dever goes into saying, hey, it's important that you sort of understand the storyline of the Bible, right? So I'm quickly going to go through this. It starts with the cosmic scope, creation of the world, which God calls good. Mankind falls. God promises redemption. God starts small with Abram and uh, sets the trajectory. God's blessing to Abram is also to bless uh, Israel and ultimately the world. In Isaiah 49.6, it says, It is too late a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes with Jacob, and to bring back the preserved of Israel, I will make you as a light for nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. So, getting into that blessing from Ab- to Abraham and, and expanding that. And then uh, the next piece is ultimately, um, this is all realized with Christ's coming, crucifixion, and rising on the third day. And that brings us to what are Christ's instructions to his disciples in the storyline? So could somebody read Mark 16, 15 to 16, and then somebody else, let's see, anybody got that one? Mark 15, sorry, 16, 15, and 16. Somebody look that up. Thanks, Daniel. And then uh, and then we'll also read Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Thanks, Paul. All right, Daniel. Okay, so pretty cut and dry, right? Go to the world, preach the gospel. <laughs> um, and then Matthew 28, 18 and 20. Paul. Okay, so there's there's a couple things that are worth pulling out there. One is all the authority. Just think about that, right? That's the backing we have when conducting missions and outreach, right? All God's authority. That that's well, more than what we can imagine, right? Um, and so it's not. It, it, it's interesting when you when you hear that command because it's not that. We're supposed to do it under our own volition and what authority we feel we have. We're actually doing this uh, with God's authority. Okay, the, the other piece is, you know, it's another command, and of course it doesn't supersede the command to love God and our neighbor, but it's added to it, and it's really an outpouring of loving your neighbor, right? If you really love your neighbor, what do you want for them? You want the best for them. Well, the best thing they can have is Christ in their life. So... It's sort of a natural evolution of the Shema and and um, and then the second uh, greatest command that Christ cites as well. Okay, and then uh, and then Acts one six to eight. Could somebody read that? Anyone? Anyone? Thanks, Aaron. Okay, so I'm going to summarize that. Don't worry about when and how God will complete his plan, but he's going to empower you to do what your primary concern should be about and what you need to put efforts towards. So just simplify it to this. Be witnesses for Christ. And note that he doesn't give a long list of things to do. Right? He doesn't say you have to do, like, 20 things. He says, just go be a witness right? The, the, the next piece is, where, where does it talk about, right? We're all familiar with this. Jerusalem, Judea, uttermost parts of the earth. So how would you define Jerusalem, right? Let's bring it forward to the Grace Bible Church. Where's Jerusalem for us? I mean, think about who it was. Yeah, local, right? Right, right here, right? Where would Judea and Samaria be, sort of relationally, if you sort of put it in perspective, for Grace Bible Church in today's world? Kansas City, yeah, regionally, right? We we live all over in this area, so Jerusalem for you might be down in Oak Grove, right? <laughs> it might not be independence per se. Maybe you'd define independence or Kansas City, greater areas, Jerusalem, and you'd say, okay, the regional area is, is Judea or Samaria. Um, and then to the ends of the earth, right, which is pretty much opens up it up to everything. So that could be done on vacations, it could be done supporting missions abroad, it could be all sorts of uh, ways. The the point is I think what what Christ has has instructed us to do is hey you, you need to get out of your comfort zone right? and you need a comprehensive plan. Like you need to go after it. Because if you don't, a human nature is just to sort of sit around and, you know, cross our arms and be comfortable. But if we have more of a comprehensive plan, if we say we're going to tackle this locally, tackle that regionally, tackle that abroad, right, it, it then forces us to think intentionally about how we are going to spread the word of Christ and it's just not a happenstance. Maybe I'll run into somebody, maybe I'll have the opportunity, Right? Um, so um, I'm going to break away just a second for the nine marks just to give you an idea of this is the disciples heard the command and this is what the disciples did, right? So going to Fox's Book of Martyrs and trying to trace back in history, um, this gives you an idea of how serious they took that as, as firsthand receivers of the command, right? Peter, and some of this is based on tradition, so take it for what it's worth, right? Peter has the tradition is that he traveled to Antioch then he established a community there. Um, they they suspect he visited Corinth before heading to Rome at some point. Andrew preached to Greek communities and was martyred at Patras. Uh, James the Great, the brother of John, focused, had a focused ministry in Jerusalem and was martyred by Herod, so he stayed right there, right, where some others started moving out. Uh, John at least went to the island of Patmos, we know that much, uh, in Greece and probably was in Ephesus. Uh, Matthew preached... To various communities in the Mediterranean before his martyrdom in Ethiopia, Philip ministered to Greek-speaking communities. Bartholomew has traditions speaking him uh, and preaching in different areas, a little less defined. Thomas uh, was widely known for his missionary efforts in India. Uh, the other James, uh, son of Alphaeus, remained in Jerusalem uh, and was the first bishop in, the, in Jerusalem. Uh, it then. Uh, Let's see. And we've got uh, Thaddeus uh, preached the gospel in various places. Uh, he's revered by the Armenian church as the apostle to the Armenians, so probably in the Armenia area, give or take, right? Um, another, another martyr. Uh, Simon the Zealot was often depicted with uh, Thaddeus, and they believe they preached together as a team. And Matthias, who is, you know, quote-unquote, the replacement apostle, um, has tradition that he probably founded the church in Cappadocia and ministered to Christians on the coast of the Caspian Sea. So if we just use the disciples as an example, you know, very few of them stayed in the local area and moved. And we're not saying everybody leave Grace Bible Church and go abroad. No, that's not the point. You know, but, but the point is they took Christ's command serious, seriously and did something based on that command. Um, going back to the, the story outline uh, of uh, the sort of the greater story, that brings us to giving us hope and confidence in this task of missions. Uh, and God even gives us the end result in the prophecy through the book of Revelation. Uh, so Revelation 7, 9 and 10 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people, In languages, standing before the throne of and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, "Salvation belongs to our God, who sits upon the throne, and to the Lamb." So, hopefully, you picked up that it's got people from every nation, every language, and there's too many uh, to number uh, that were saved. Uh, Here's the here's the point that Deborah's trying to make: if we're believers then we are a part of the end state because someone helped lead us to our own salvation, right? I, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure if I surveyed the church, very few of you came to salvation on your own, right? It was usually somebody who was influencing you in some way or shape or form. So that would bring us to the question, if somebody did that for us, at a very minimum, shouldn't we feel like we have the responsibility to do the same for others? Just you know, the using today's terminology, pay it forward. Right? Let's let's try we should be trying to pay it forward to the next person. So so what are some of the reasons you can think or or that motivate you personally to share your faith? Anybody? Like is it guilt? Joy? Like what what causes you to talk to somebody else about your faith? Yeah. Compassion, okay. Yeah? Anybody else? I mean, there's all sorts of reasons, and it probably changes through seasons of life. Yeah, Paul. When I say okay. joy, a lot of times, where, and I say it's kind of a reflection, too, where seeing the absence of joy in others and knowing what I've received in Christ, compels me to be to share that with other people. So it's a little bit of sorrow for them and your personal joy that you want to say, hey, you could have this too. Yeah, great. I think it ties very well to what Holly was saying. Okay. Hey, look, I think we could probably go on and make a list, a long list, right? But there's, there's different things, right? There's joy. There's the, the thing we just going to share it, right? I, this is so good in my life, somebody else has to experience it as well. That kind of joy, right? There's obedience. I and mean, Some of us are sort of driven by rules and things, and so we're driven by obedience. Christ said to do it, therefore, even if it's uncomfortable, I'm going to go do it. I think some of us could probably raise our hand and say we fall in that category or have it sometime. There's the, the obligation piece. This is right, and therefore, others need to know it. Like, they just need to, you know, not not the correction side of things, but they just need to know it because I'm obligated to help people understand what's right and what's wrong. Uh, certainly sorrow, we care about the lost. Uh, Dever says, Surely no heart of love can coolly consider fellow sinners perishing under God's good judgment and not desire to share the gospel with them. You know, so there's a, there's a variety of reasons. Uh, so... The point of that is, is that missions isn't meant to be occasional or optional. It's just a necessary extension. That's what Dever trying to get us to, and that's what he's saying. Is this is just an essential extension of what God has always been about in the world, ultimately bringing glory to himself through us. Uh, Dever highlights that this starts at home out of concern for our family and work. And there may be a deliberate effort, or should be a deliberate effort, to share the gospel with those we interact with regularly. Okay, so we would all say yeah, that, and we would categorize that probably as regular evangelism, right, in, in the normal normal terms. But you know, what's the endeavor and brings up the point? What's the difference between establishing a Bible study at work and a missionary doing the same exact thing over in Cambodia or Singapore or someplace? Not much, right? I mean, if we're honest, there's not a whole lot different. It's just they went abroad and are doing it. but We have the same exact opportunities here at home. So obviously there's differences in language, there's differences in location, but the goal is the same. Um, and uh, And Endeavor asserts that many churches, especially unhealthy churches, that don't prioritize that and don't emphasize that specifically, are, tend to be on the more unhealthy side. And so if we're going to be a healthy church, then we need to, to uh, emphasize that as well. Um, okay, so Denver, go, Denver goes into uh, providing seven ways the local church can pursue a biblical pro, uh, pro- proactive nature in missions. Now, the first point is to learn about God's word and God's world right Because how, how do you how do you reach anybody if you don't understand what you're dealing with right and that that a lot of times is our excuse for not reaching people. Uh, let's be honest, right I, I personally can say that right oh well, I don't quite understand where that person's coming from. I need to okay, well, then make an effort to go understand where that person's coming from right it, it, some sometimes I know I miss the second piece of it, like okay, if I don't understand it and that's the excuse we'll get rid of the excuse, right um so uh, so there's a variety of ways. So let, let, me, let me ask, this back into the discussion point, what are ways we can learn about God's word and God's world? What are things that come to your mind? I'm going to check stuff off if you, if you say it. So. Okay. Yeah? Okay, just discussion, getting to know who they are, where they're coming from. Fellow Christians. Okay. How's that going to help us? Let's pull the thread on that a little bit. How's that going to help us actually reach others? How, how's that going to help us know God's God's world, the greater world? Okay. Okay. Great. What else? It's quiet over here. Join in. Come on. The water's not that deep. All right. What's that? biographies okay anything else yeah okay yeah just understand where they're coming from and what's important to them yeah so those are some good ideas right uh, I'll, I'll list off a variety of other things that we might be able to do here at GPC right is uh, maybe would maybe we do class or a, a class you know something like this or whatever specifically on missions and and how to help members share the gospel Right, it's it's it can be some because sometimes it's easy to sort of pull in and it's almost you know quote unquote a perishable skill, right? Where you can be comfortable with it and then two years later you're not comfortable at all, and you sort of need a refresher. Uh, maybe there's a reading group, right? Maybe, maybe we could read books as a congregation for those who like reading a lot and and have a reading group and specifically focus to learn more about God's world and and and. Uh, And therefore, we can understand that. Uh, Learn what God would teach us about his word and about the world in every sermon. Well, Adam tries to bring that in uh, to quite a few of the sermons, but Dever Dever talks about that. Uh, Sometimes some of the passages don't lend themselves terribly well to specifically that, but we should be able to make the the linkage there. Um, Dever says, become a missionary sending church. You know, starts by preaching God's word, so go back to chapter one, right? Mark one, um, and applies the exposition of God's word, uh, and then through prayer we can properly apply it uh, and do it well. Um, to learn about the world, we could. Some churches also have uh, highlights or inserts in the bulletin. Um, we we have a little booklet in the back. If you've never grabbed one, that highlights different different parts of the world, right? That's the perfect kind of thing. you do one a day or one a week or whatever, even as a family. You can learn as, together as, as about what's, what the world has, what the challenges are in those countries. And how many countries are there, like 212 or something? So there's plenty, plenty to go around to pray for. Um, um, the point is, uh, it's really difficult to pray for a place and develop a heart for it if you don't really understand it. Right? Same thing with a neighbor or something. If you don't really understand them, how are you ever going to develop a heart for him? I think that's what Dever's trying to get to. Um, and, it, and it can be a lot of fun, too. Those of you who have, you know, kids and stuff, to learn about other countries, it's a way to sort of tie in a little geography and understand about, you know, what's the language they speak there, what's going on. So there's other opportunities there as well that, that are a happy second-order uh, piece. Um, you know, maybe we have a missions conference once a year here at the church where our missionaries are involved, and we learn more about what our missionaries are specifically doing. Um, and get them involved, or or other places around the world. Um, so there's some ideas. Uh, the second point he makes is praying for the spread of the gospel in other places. So he asks a few questions in there. Uh, do you pray for members in the church, in this church? You know, we have church directory. You can just open it up and go through the list if you want. But do you do that? Um, uh, maybe it's the same principles with the atlas or a missions prayer guide is the point he's making. So if, you, if that's sort of how you organize some of your prayer life, you can do the same thing with an atlas. You can do the same thing with the booklet in the back. Uh, Sunday morning prayers in the service led by elders, so we do that. So they're, they're modeling uh, that force already. Uh, praying for other churches that... Uh, would be gospel preaching. So we do pray for churches in the area and stuff, but maybe we get a little more specific and pray for a specific church, right, and and partner with, even potentially partner in in that. Uh, Praying for the missionaries we send out. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but hopefully, you know, the folks are are praying for our missionaries on a regular basis Uh, because we sent them into a different place with a different language and a different culture and it's not that easy of a life. They've got a lot of other stressors uh, and what have you. And then, of course, just praying for lost and persecuted Christians. So, so Deborah sort of asks the question, how can we intentionally and be consistent in our corporate and individual prayer um, as we go through? Uh, then he talks about planning to uh, make your church increasingly useful for the spread of the gospel. Uh, specifically, do we care about other churches and how do we partner with them, you know, the universal church, so to speak. Um, facilitating f- f- fellowship between pastors. So I know Adam tries to reach out, and he's got some networks that he, he uh, works with, and, and they discuss things. Brainstorming what it would take for the gospel to spread in our area. Uh, you know, maybe we just get a group together and talk about what could we do uh, what should we avoid doing that might get in the way of spreading the gospel? So I know some folks are concerned about the, this program or that program, and uh, programs are just ministries in, here in the church, really, but you know we, maybe we need to sit down and say, hey, are there things that are getting in the way of spreading the gospel? Are we too inwardly focused? are we not you know are we not thinking big enough uh, or or far enough out? Okay uh, The fourth point is uh, pay to support those who go out. For the sake of the name who can't or shouldn't support themselves right um and in third john uh, five and eight it says beloved it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers strangers as they are who testified to your love before the church you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of god for they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the gentiles therefore we ought to support people like these that we may make fellow workers for the truth. Uh, Philippians, the Philippians certainly supported Paul's ministry to the Corinthians as another model. Um, and so, you know, they, whether you're tithing through the church and supporting missionaries or you're tithing some to the church and then you support others, you know, think about you know, what percentage of your personal tithe actually supports missions. And of course the church might manage that, but Uh, you should understand that piece. And then uh, what percentage, Debra asked, what percentage of the church's budget goes to missions? Um, I've seen some churches that haven't prioritized this, and it always ends up on the same note, is that they uh, focus on so many other things, they they lose their focus for outreach. Um, And then uh, giving meaningful amounts, you know, so I'll, I'll put in Parentheses after that, I've got a sister who's a missionary. My parents were focused on missions quite a bit uh, when my dad was a pastor. Um, You know, how do we like help our missionaries keep up with inflation, right? We're worried about it here at home. Think about what the flights cost coming back and forth to the United States. So if we're really taking care of them, are we helping them stay up with inflation? Are we giving them periodic raises like we get at work? Uh, Something to think about, right? Following Paul's exhortation to Titus uh, to make sure uh, workers are sent out lack for nothing. Um, you know, how do we how do we think about that? And then uh, the next point number five is send pastors and others to help establish churches and gospel needy places far away. So there's a desire for all members to share the gospel um, and uh, and publicly share the testimony. And if you considered personally be a short term or maybe even long-term, um, you know, how, how are you going to personally be involved, right? It's not that everybody has to do it, obviously, because in order to support missionaries, some people have to <laughs> contribute money and things, right? So the, the, your average job can actually be a, a big part of that ministry. But um, has anybody ever gone on a short-term mission trip? Yeah? A couple? Where did you go, Paul? Okay. I did too. Cool. we we'll to talk. <laughs> Mexico. Been there too. Yeah. Um, so I, I was fortunate because my parents were very missions focused. My dad was a pastor. Um, and and somewhere along the way, I'm not sure where it was, late high school, I got turned on and, and, and into it. And, and I went on my first mission trips with an organization called Teen Missions International. Originally grew out of the Southern Baptist Convention and it was sort of a, a side organization. But um, I had the opportunity to to do a summer mission trip with them. Went to Papua New Guinea, and then the next summer I went back as a leader and was able to go to a place in Africa. And the next summer went back in Africa. And the next summer I did something with the home church and went to Mexico. And so it, it, I'm really passionate about it, right? Because because once you experience that, and I think Daniel and Paul talk to Daniel and Paul when you're done, right? Once you experience that, it changes your perspective completely forever. When you start when you start understanding what the situation is in the different country, you you learn to sort of melt your heart, if you will, and, and to be reminded of, hey, it's not all about me in Kansas City, or, or what have you, right? Um, for me personally, that's where I learned, uh, not only to trust God for funds, because I had to do fundraising to, to do that, right? And I had to start um, realizing I couldn't do it all on my own. Uh, it certainly broadened my perspective. That's where I learned to memorize scripture because there's a memory, a scripture memory part of it. Um, that's where I learned to have deliberate devotions because we had to break apart and do deliberate devotions every day. So, it, you know, that was my experience. Everybody has different experiences, but the point is, a lot can come out of even a short-term missions trip. It doesn't have to be a long-term thing. You know, there's there's other. Uh, there's other things that sort of tie into that as well, right? So the sixth point is caring for those we send. And how else do we care for our missionaries other than sending money? That's an interesting question. Do we really think about that? Right? I mean, yeah, prayer. We already talked that. But how else, right? Do we communicate with them regularly? Oh, it's probably nice to get, you know, encouraging notes, just like you would want that if you were abroad. Um, You know, do they do some sort of sabbaticals? Do they, uh, and when they come, is it that they're working because they have to keep their funds up or is the sabbatical truly a sabbatical? That's an interesting concept, right? That they don't have to worry about the money, so when they come, it's actually a time to relaxation and they can be cared for. Um, Could we visit them to better understand their environment and pray for them? So Natalie's off in Alaska. I think she's still up there, right? Yeah. Um, So she's going to come back with a much better perspective, and hopefully we can latch on to that and understand better through her. Um, You know, are there other ways we can encourage them, right? Sunday Sunday school class curriculum. Can kids write notes to their kids? You know, these are the kind of things. If we go to visit them, you know, are there ways that we can uh, uh, build them up as well? Okay. Then, point number seven is waiting for a faithful witness to be well established and helping those uh, send out to endure. So, Dever makes a couple of points. God ordinarily uses the ordinary. Think about that a second. God ordinarily uses the ordinary. Um, in other words, we don't have to have some exceptional experience to latch onto in order to reach others. So that should drive us to approach how we do that a little bit differently, maybe if we hadn't thought about it that way. Um, And then having the right expectations. Dever stresses that missions, especially overseas missions, but missions in the broader sense does not usually yield quick results. It's a long, arduous process because you have to develop relationships just like we do in our community, except there's less common ground, so you have to build the common ground. and if you spe- especially if you get into other communities like Mus- the Muslim community and what have you, uh, those are, are, are very difficult communities. It's very relational. Until, until you are trusted, you'll make no progress, basically. And it'll feel like you're sort of stagnant. Um, so my, my oldest sister and her husband are uh, missionaries to Iranians in the Washington, D.C. area. Obviously, you can't go to Iran, right? Um, so you know they learn Farsi. Um, but you know, Steve had to figure out. He's like, I, I don't know. Like, you can't just walk into a mosque or something and, and start proselytizing, right? It just doesn't work that way. So, so he had to figure out like a different strategy. So now he teaches English as a second language, with a focus in that community. They come, he can talk to them in Farsi, some help them with their English, and then work in the gospel message as they're going through that. And some of these folks, they've literally been talking to who have been this close to probably salvation for the better part of 10 years. I think, 10 years, right? That's a long time. And then every once in a while, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit finally grabs them and, and they are, they're convicted enough that they will change their, uh, change their life. So that's how it is with a lot of missions, right? And not just in our neighborhood relationships and things, but that, that's how enduring it has to be. Okay, so summarizing things here. Um, and this is Dever's summary, is learn, pray, plan, and pay. Uh, If you want an equation, for those of you who like equation, that's that's not a bad one, right? Learn about it, pray about it, plan for it, and pay into it, whether it's your personal effort or or monetarily. Um, His next point is send pastors and care for them, and his next point is and wait. Now, not wait like, You know, I'm just sitting around, but have the right expectation uh, because the Holy Spirit will continue to work. Uh, Romans ten fourteen says, "How are they to believe in Him, of whom they have never heard?" Right? If if folks don't hear the gospel, they're never going to believe. Why would they? Especially in America today, there's so many other things that people are inundated with. Dever suggests that. All the other eight marks of a healthy church leads to missions and helping others come to Christ. And as a church with a vibrant crowd of kids and youth, we also need to think about how do we help grow our kids to be missions-minded. Because it starts at an early age. Uh, you know, speaking from my personal experience, but you know, once it's in, inundated in your, in your life, you can't get rid of it. And that's how we want our kids to be, I think. Uh, so one last question to go Uh, think about as we go forward is what can we be doing to spread the gospel uh, here at GBC? Maybe more of something, maybe something new, and then how do we organize ourselves to do it? Adam, over to you.